All right, we are live. Welcome. This is Orion Rising. I am your host, Leonard O'Neill. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good morrow, depending on where in the world you are tuning into this show. All right, guys, it's Friday. Time for the Law of One, right? No politics today. Law of One. We are on session 90. Nine zero out of 116. It's taken almost two years to get here. Actually, I think it has been close to that, right? Started in October. I think I'll have to go back and look. We're either on our second year or we're on our third year. Uh, it's been a while, but we are on session nine zero today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Share this out, share this out, share this out, everybody. Julie, welcome back, right? Kevin, Kevin Cummings, welcome, my friend. So you guys want to hear something weird? This has, this has nothing to do with the law of one, <clears throat> but I'm wondering if this has happened to anybody out there. I'm sitting here, and I'm setting up for the show today, right? And I'm doing mic checks. I'm doing visual, video checks, you know, this sort of thing, getting getting everything prompted and ready to go. And I'm pulling up the music, the intro music. And I have my phone uh, sitting on the, uh, the uh, keyboard tray next to the keyboard because that's what I use to, as a second monitor uh, these days. I have two laptops, but I, I, when I checked with the you know with the radiation detector to see you know the geiger counter to see how much radiation i was enduring sitting here with three computers in front of me uh it was uh really high so i use my phone now i use the computer my phone my phone's bad enough so i don't i don't hold it up to my head but it's sitting facing up and like right now i'm looking down at it and i can see the uh, you know like angela just came into the chat welcome uh, so I could see it. It was sitting there, and it was prompted, ready to go, and I leave it off-channel, but ready to go on to Orion Rising. So when it goes live, I just go to Orion Rising, and then I see the live, and I pop on there and double-check it while the music's playing. So I'm sitting here getting ready to go. This is about 15, 20 minutes ago, and all of a sudden, I look down. Now, my phone, I had not turned off my ringer yet, okay? I look down, and my phone is uh, ending a phone call. It says call has ended, 26 seconds, and I looked at the phone number that was there, and I thought, that's weird. Did someone just try to call me, and it, and it didn't come? I didn't hear it, right? And, and so I went immediately to my call log, and there was no record of me being on a call, incoming or outgoing, at that moment. Yet someone was on the line for at least 26 seconds and then hung up, right? Homeland Security. Something, right? I don't know who. Aliens? No, I don't know. Somebody was tapping into my phone, turned it on, and listened, if not had the camera going, for 26 seconds without my being aware of it. And when I glanced down at it, it was hanging up. And, you know, when you hang up, it turns red because it's like, you know, green or whatever color you have when it's on. And then when you hang up, uh, at least with my phone, I hang up and it turns red and says call ended. Right? So, so literally somebody got into my phone for 26 seconds and was listening into, if not watching on camera, what I was doing, but the phone was facing straight up so they wouldn't be able to see anything besides the roof, but they could hear everything that I was doing. And I just happened to glance down, and it, was, it wasn't like the window. It wasn't like the window. Sorry, I just pegged out just then to the uh, a red with the decibels for some reason. I hit the a loud noise there. I apologize if I squealed in your ears. But it wasn't as, as though like the phone was on and there was a green because when my phone's on and I'm talking to somebody and it's, it's green, it's open and it's green, green, go, red, stop, right? But that wasn't, there was nothing on the screen. There was nothing on the screen and then it just all of a sudden turned red when the call was ending. 
That's bizarre, right? I'm not sure what's going on there. But I don't know if that, anything like that has happened to you guys, but that's just crazy, right? Yeah, Kevin says it wasn't me, right? Uh, you know, no, if it was you, your name would have came up, unless you have it unlisted. You know, it actually came up with a telephone number. And unfortunately, when that happens, you're not thinking, quick, memorize that. Right. I'm sure I could hypnotize myself and go back to that moment when I looked down because I, I looked at it and it was there, you know, for a whole second before it disappeared. I'm sure I could find the phone number, but there was, wasn't even a record of it. So I couldn't like call it back. Right. Back in the day, you could star 69 that stuff. I don't think you can do that on a cell phone. I don't know if you guys know what that's about well, here in California. You could do that if somebody called you on your house phone and, uh, and, you, and you didn't receive the phone call. You heard the ring and didn't get there in time if you didn't have, uh, uh, you know, voicemail or they didn't leave a voicemail. Or if they had a blocked number, you could hit star 69 and it would call back the whatever, whoever was connected to your phone. Um, well, they stopped doing that when people like myself both started doing that and catching the federal government. <laughs> so they kind of did away with that program, right? That was the same thing as, as um, back when they were trying to catch, catch me when I was working with the IRA, the, um, you know, sending messages and stuff to people on message boards that I was getting from Shen Fen. And um, they were, kept trying to ping me. So I was, of course, working on an off server that wasn't registered to my name, wasn't in any way connected to the name that I'm using currently. So, there, so they, they, the FBI does that. We were warned that they send a virus through. To try and, um, you know, uh, uh, as soon as you do an email, it, it attaches to itself and sends an email to everybody in your email list. So they can ping like a sonar ping to find out who is attached to you. That, that's the exact reason why there's cells in, in uh, the IRA and any other terrorist organization. Only three or four people know the three or four other people. Right. And then and then you can you can isolate that cell with they don't have any contact with anybody outside and they use a different alias on a different IP address. Right. Uh, uh, that is not connected in any way to the one that they were using to send the same information that they got and received on a different computer. That's what we had to do. And it's still done that way. Right. So that's why they try to ping you on cell towers now. Right, because if the if you're using different IPAs or IP addresses on different computers, but you're in the same location, then they can then they can ping you that way. And that that was the the once they invented that and got that technology, it became harder for people to stay undercover that way. So that's when people started getting burner phones. But what you hear about on television with burner phones is a lie. They tell you that so that you'll go buy a burner phone and they can trace you with a burner phone just like you can trace anything else. Because at the point of sale. The burner phone is registered, and there's always cameras on you when you're buying something. So they just get the the uh, you know IP address of the cell phone, find out where it was sold, and go there and get a visual and use their technology to find out who you are. So burner phones, well, they were using a burner phone. They probably threw it away. That's a crock. It's a lie. <clears throat> Best thing you can do is get a burner phone and have someone else buy them for you. I'm not going to get into the spy tech. Anyways, so the phone went off, man. It was on, Somebody was listening in. And checking me out, right? <laughs> They're checking on you. Yeah, well, I was told that they were. I mean, the, the truth is, I'm very open about that I was that I worked for the Irish Republican Army. I was not able to do that until they were read, recognized as a free and sovereign nation. Then those people who were part of that terrorist organization became the formal secret service for that country. Okay, that's how that works. When you when they acknowledge you as a sovereign nation, people who are your secret service are now your secret service. But prior to that, they're a terrorist organization. Just like here in the United States, the United States government and the military and the spy ring that helped free the United States government during the during the Revolutionary War, they were considered 
revolutionaries. They were traitors. They were upstarts. They were terrorists. And all of them needed to go to jail or be killed. Okay. And um, in fact, when uh, if you watch the movie really quickly, and then we'll get into uh, uh, the law of one. But if you watch the movie The Patriot, which was a, based on a true story, by the way, that movie was not fiction. It was more of a documentary than it was not. Okay. Um, Mel Gibson is famous for doing that. And people don't realize that he makes documentaries, and people think that it's just a movie that, that he made up, uh, that he got some script, and it's it's a, a script that he got, but it's based in, in real fact. Really, things really happen. So the, the way that you see them as well, that's what makes his movies good is he's only telling what actually happened, and, that, and that's better than trying to write something. Uh, some of his movies, of course, are entertainment, you know, but there's a few that are big, you know, that he's done that are historic, and those are real. Okay, and that was one of them. So in that, at one point, <clears throat> he goes to uh, uh, Cromwell, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Corn, uh, Cornwall, and uh, he is, uh, is a general in the uh, militia, for uh, South Carolina. And um, uh, Benjamin Martin was the character's name he was playing. Benjamin Martin was a, a patriot. He really did serve. He served in the, in the uh, uh, colonial army and then served in the, uh, the newly established American military as a, a militia colonel. Um, or general. He was a colonel. I apologize. So he went to, to speak to to get his prisoners back. And he said prisoner exchange. And um, uh, Cornwallis said, um, I'm sorry, we don't have any prisoners here. We have traitors, terrorists. See, he wouldn't acknowledge that the p- troops that he had imprisoned were, in fact, a, a formal military on the grounds that we don't recognize the sovereignty of the United States of America. So anyone fighting against the crown is not a militia, not a military, not a militia. They're a terrorist group. OK, and, and that's the way the IRA was perceived on, you know, until, of course, the um, the Clinton brokered the deal with the English to uh, have them see them as a, you know, recognize them as a sovereign nation. Uh, you know, and that's when the CIA, the, the, the federal government of the United States and the British crown hired the uh, Secret Service, the IRA of, the, uh, of Ireland, to train all the terrorist organizations that we've been dealing with since then, including ISIL that's out there now. That's why when George Jr. wanted to find out where all the terrorists were, he made a point to throw the IRA under the bus that he wanted the, or, you know, he wanted the whereabouts of all terrorist organizations worldwide. And anyone who had that information and did not divulge that information would be considered uh, harboring terrorists. And then he said, and that includes the IRA. Because he knew that the IRA was training them. And the IRA wasn't telling them that information because that wasn't part of the deal. Part of the deal was to set up these these uh, organizations the proper way so that they wouldn't get caught. Hold on one second. My mother, who has Alzheimer's, is now coming into the office while I'm trying to be live on air. What can I do for you? I'm live on air right now. What can I do for you? I should go sit down and watch TV, okay? All right. I apologize. I tell her, I'm going to be in the office. I'm going to be on the air, Mom. Okay. And then she forgets 10 minutes later, and I don't know what she wanted, but once I told her to go and please watch television, she said, okay. So who knows? Maybe she's just checking on me. All right, so I apologize for that little uh, thing there. So now let's get off of all all of that. But because of that, my point of, of all of that is because of what I have done in my past and who my family is, I already know that I already have people watching me. I, they, they have been 
uh, once I came out and they realized who I was, then they uh, immediately they've been want everything uh, that I had. And I knew at the time, too, because I had one of those viruses uh, attached to my email and it was trying to send itself to everybody that I knew. And there was two people on there that I didn't know. And I got messages from their computer saying that they would no longer uh, receive email from me. And um, one was in the Department of Navy and the other one was uh, Homeland Security or actually it was FBI before Homeland Security was actually created. And I was like, I don't know who these people are. One was a Marine colonel and the other one was a, a Navy lieutenant. So everything that I had uh, was already every email I was sending out was uh, there was a blind courtesy copy, a blind carbon copy going out to those two agencies. They were tracking me. And the only reason I found out was one of their viruses uh, sent an email back to them each 110 times before their computer, uh, uh, someone caught it and cut it off. So I had tried to send 110 uh, uh, emails to their <laughs> email address. And I never knew who they were. And I was like, I'm not sending emails to uh, to uh, military personnel. Oh, yes, I was. Everything that I was receiving and sending was going to them before it came to me. And I'm assuming that it's still that way to this day. So I know that there, and I've been told by psychics that I'm, I'm, uh, that I am being tracked. I've also been told by psychics that aliens are tracking me as well. Okay, so not just on world, but off world. Everything I do, everything I say is being is being tracked. I just wondered if anybody else noticed strange things like that on their phone. I mean, back in the day, you could hear them when you would be talking on the old landlines. You could hear a, re a little redundancy. They put a marker in the so that they could uh, tell time in there. So there was the, that was that little teeny, you know, uh, it would be like a little click, you know, and it would happen every like 10 seconds so that they knew how long the phone call was and if it was tampered with in any way. I found that out from my father, who, in fact, um, used to do that. So he was he explained to me how to get around that with a with a piece of gum wrapper. <laughs> that pissed some people off when I did that. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into the law of one. The law of one. Uh, you know, now that I've wasted my, my standard fifteen minutes that I waste would have only been eleven, like standard. But I spent three minutes talking to my mom, right? <laughs> So, right, okay, yeah, so Julie says, oh, my God, uh, I've seen um, Braveheart and, and the, uh, the, the uh, Patriot so many times, I, I, can't, I can't sit through them anymore. That's funny, right? Uh, funny story about that really quickly, and then we'll get into this. I, I was showing my, my wife and my stepson um, that, that movie, uh, um, not Braveheart, but, but um, uh, pa the Patriot, and we were over at her parents' house, right? And we we're watching the movie, and her father, who w went to Annapolis, he was a lifetime. You know, he was well. He wasn't a lifetime. He was he was in the Navy for several several years, and uh, and then was a um, um, a lawyer, uh, and, and other things like that. And, you know, and he was at, at the time he was probably in his sixties. I was about I don't know, maybe thirty at that time, and. He was upstairs with his wife, and they were doing, you know, watching something in their room. And and but he was curious because he came down and he knew about the movie, and then we were watching it. And he came down at one point, and he says, um, "So how are they doing?" And I looked at him as a matter of factly because I understood that he knew that the military history, right? And and he did. And I said, "Well, they're still in the they're at the old swamp in the, in the mission at the old swamp, the old mission. So that would put them in the summertime. So they're still in the south." And he goes, "Oh, okay. So Corn, Cornwallis is still in the south." I said, "Yeah, he hasn't. He hasn't. Uh, he's just now getting ticked off about the." Because uh, they they had his dogs and and that whole business and he's like oh all right well then they're doing they're very good very well on their way and my wife says dad 
have you seen this movie before? And he says, no, no, I haven't. I hear that they did a really good job, though. And she's like, well, how do you know what's going on then? And you and Leonard are talking about it as if you've seen it before. And he goes, well, no, I, I know the history. I went to Annapolis. They teach the history of this, that entire <laughs> war. And she was like, wait a minute, what? And and my stepson goes, wait a minute, what? And I turned and looked at him and I said, did I not tell you guys before we started this? This is a true story. What you're seeing here is is so accurate, they could call it a documentary. The only reason why they're not it's not a documentary is because you don't have the narrator narrating and telling you what's about to happen in every battle or, or why it's just a it's a film but it literally is a reenactment of what really happened <laughs> and they were like oh my god this is real and i'm like yeah everything you see here really happened all of these things if they didn't happen the way they did and i suggest that if anybody doesn't know anything about that war and you're an american and you call yourself a patriot you should learn you should watch there was a, a limited uh, television series called turn and that was about the spy ring that George Washington had, that, that if it wasn't for this spy ring, and they were just patriots, people, living in America that went against uh, the British uh, and because of different things. They were banned together, and they ended up helping. And without them working for George Washington, uh, we would have never been a, a nation. Everybody thinks that George Washington, they paint him as this bumbling guy who couldn't win a battle until they crossed the Delaware, which was true. And it, but the problem that, it, that they had was they were completely vastly outnumbered. They were vastly outgunned. They were vastly out technology. You know, they had the English had an unlimited budget and, the, and they didn't have any money. Right. So there was literally just uh, piss and vinegar. So the, the, the whole war was won because they broke from and this is what they show in that movie as well. Really quickly, and we'll get into law one. They broke from the standard lineup, which then they got back to during the Civil War. And they lined up and just shot each other until everybody just fell over dead, which was a senseless waste. I could have won the Civil War with with fucking uh, in a platoon less than that uh, of Marines. Right. With machine guns and hand grenades and shit. And they, you know, the, the best thing you could do at that point is not. I mean, look at Pickett's charge. Those guys like marched across a thousand yards of open field, taking a, a enemy fire the entire time. What made them think when they got to the other side they were going to have anybody left alive? But that was the way that there was the wars were, were waged. It was absolutely stupid. We had learned from the Native Americans to fight a guerrilla war and then got away from it as soon as we used it to, to gain our freedom. We should have stayed that way. Now, that's the way wars are fought. It's a guerrilla warfare always. There's no standing off at each other and waiting waiting for them guys to shoot you, and then you fire back at them, and you just keep doing that until somebody surrenders. That you know, that's, this, that's the same thing as the Zulus used to do when they would stand too far apart and throw spears at each other knowing the spears weren't going to hit anyone, and they would dance around, and, and it was all for show, and then Shaka ran over and started slaughtering people and changed the whole warfare and said, why are we doing this? Let's go kill them. And from that point on, he conquered the whole freaking continent because everybody would stand around waving the, and dancing around like it was some breakdance contest, and he'd run over and slaughter them. So that's that's how all you know that that all changes. Anyway, so let's let's get away from that now. I apologize. I've wasted twenty minutes for those of you who get annoyed with that stuff, right? Uh, but I love those movies, right? They're, they're great movies, and they're and they're and then you know he did the Passion of the Christ, and 
um, that was very well done. He didn't he didn't blame all the Jews. He blamed the Pharisees, which was one group, and it wasn't even all of the Pharisees. It was like eight men uh, that he showed, and that I know that the Hebrews really got afraid because they were concerned with that because of the anti-Semitic attitude in the, around the world. Uh, but he showed that it wasn't all those people. It was just one little hand-picked bunch of guys who were pissed off because he was getting in the way of their money, their action. Which is the same thing that, you know, just like with uh, Donald Trump, he was getting in the way of the deep state making their uh, their deep state money. So he was cutting off all of their money, so they had to get rid of him. Same thing. I'm not saying that he was Jesus, and I'm not comparing him in that respect, only in the motivation of the people that had to get rid of Donald Trump was the same motivation of the people who had to get rid of Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm not trying to say that in any way that Donald Trump was anything other than a fat cat rich billionaire who really didn't give a shit about everybody, but kind of give a little bit more shit about the country than the other people did. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into it. Now I apologize for anybody who uh, who I normally post this on their channel and we don't talk politics because I just did it right there for about 30 seconds, 45 seconds. All right, so let me switch over here to the camera here, um, and that's the studio, so let me get over to this. And I will go in full screen, and you guys can see uh, the, the, this uh, and read along with it. Uh, and like I said, this is uh, the law of one, and we are in session 90, 90. God be praised, right? Okay, here we go, guys. Full screen and action. Oh, hold on a second. Before I do that, i got to make sure I turn the soundboard back up for Raw's voice. Yes, or he'll be too low. I apologize for that. Here we go. I am Ra. I greet you in the love and in the light of the one infinite creator. We communicate now. Question 90.1 Questioner, could you first please give me the condition of the instrument? Answer, I am Ra. The physical complex energy deficit is somewhat increased by continued distortions towards pain. The vital energy levels are as previously stated, having fluctuated slightly between askings. Question 90.2 Questioner, could you tell me the situation with respect to our fourth and fifth density companions at this time? Answer, I am Ra. The fourth density league of companions accompanies your group. The fifth density friend, at this space-time nexus, works within its own density exclusively. Question 90.3 Questioner, by what means do these particular fourth density entities get from their origin to our position? Answer, I am Ra. The mechanism of calling has been previously explored. When the distortion which may be negatively connotated is affected, this calling occurs. In addition, the light of which we have spoken, emanating from attempts to be of service to others in a fairly clear and lucid sense, is another type of calling in that it represents that which requires balance by temptation. Thirdly, there have been certain avenues into the mind, body, spirit complexes of this group which have been made available by your fifth density friend. Question 90.4 Questioner, actually, the question that I intended was how do they get here? By what means of moving do they get here? Answer, I am Ra. In the mechanism of the calling the movement is as you would expect, that is, the entities are within your planetary influence and are, having come through the quarantine web free to answer such calling. The temptations are offered by those negative entities of what you would call your inner planes. 
These, shall we say, dark angels have been impressed by the service to self-path offered by those which have come through quarantine from days of old and these entities, much like your angelic presences of the positive nature, are ready to move in thought within the inner planes of this planetary influence working from time-space to space-time. The mechanism of the fifth density entity is from density to density and is magical in nature. The fourth density, of itself, is not capable of building the highway into the energy web. However, it is capable of using that which has been left intact. These entities are, again, the Orion entities of fourth density. Question 90.5 Questioner, you stated previously that fifth density entities bear a resemblance to those of us in third density on planet Earth but fourth density does not. Could you describe the fourth density entities and tell me why they do not resemble us? Answer, I am Ra. The description must be baited under the law of confusion. The cause for a variety of so-called physical vehicles is the remaining variety of heritages from second density physical vehicular forms. The process of what you call physical evolution continues to hold sway into fourth density. Only when the ways of wisdom have begun to refine the power of what you may loosely call thought is the form of the physical complex manifestation more nearly under the direction of the consciousness. See, so I had talked about that before, <coughs> where the fourth density uh, people don't look as much like us as we do here, but then in the fifth they look like us here again. But they're, they have less of a body, they're a little bit more translucent. Isn't that crazy, right? So it, it just depends on each reality. We recreate the reality that we see. That's people have a hard time fathoming that that we are in control here. We are in control of this reality and the creation of this reality. So if we wanted to change and make ourselves all lizard people, if all of us wanted that, it would be that way. That's the problem that we have. The biggest issue that we have is that they hijacked that. That's where we're stuck. The reason that we're stuck is because that was hijacked from us. And they're not allowing anybody to graduate. And those ones or twosies that do choose to come back to help because they realize there's a problem. Question 90.6. Questioner, if the population of this planet presently looks similar to fifth density entities, I was wondering why this is. If I understand you correctly, the process of evolution would normally be that of third density resembling that from which evolved in second density and refining it in fourth and then again in fifth density, becoming what the population of this looks like in the third density. It seems to me that this planet is ahead of itself by the way that its mind, body, spirit complex or body complex looks. What is the reason for this? Answer, I am Ra. Your query is based upon a misconception. Do you wish us to comment or do you wish to re-question? Question 90.7 Questioner, please comment on my misconception if that is possible. Answer, I am Ra. In fifth density the manifestation of the physical complex is more and more under the control of the conscious mind complex. Therefore, the fifth density entity may dissolve one manifestation and create another. Consequently, the choice of a fifth density entity or complex of entities wishing to communicate with your peoples will be to resemble your people's physical complex, chemical, yellow array vehicles. Question 90.8 Questioner, I see. Very roughly, if you were to move a third density entity from some other planet to this planet, what percentage of all of those within the knowledge of Ra would look enough like entities of Earth so that they would go unnoticed in a crowd? Answer, I am Ra. 
perhaps 5%. Question 90.9. Questioner, then there is an extreme variation in the form of the physical vehicle in third density in the universe. I assume that this is also true of fourth density. Is this correct? Answer, I am Ra. This is so. We remind you that it is a great theoretical distance between demanding that the creatures of an infinite creation be unnoticeably similar to oneself and observing those signs which may be called human which denote the third density characteristics of self-consciousness, the grouping into pairs, societal groups, and races, and the further characteristic means of using self-consciousness to refine and search for the meaning of the milieu. Question 90.10 Questioner, within Ra's knowledge of the third density physical forms, what percentage would be similar enough to this planet's physical forms that we would assume the entities to be human even though they were a bit different? This would have to be very rough because of my definitions being very rough. Answer, I am Ra. This percentage is still small, perhaps 13 to 15 percent due to the capabilities of various second density life forms to carry out each necessary function for third density work. Thusly to be observed would be behavior indicating self-consciousness and purposeful interaction with the sentient ambience about the entity rather than those characteristics which familiarly connote to your peoples the humanity of your third density form. Question 90.11 Questioner, now in this line of questioning I am trying to link to the creations of various logwa and their original use of a system of archetypes in their creation and I apologize for a lack of efficiency in doing this but I find this somewhat difficult. For this particular logos in the beginning, prior to its creation of the first density, did the archetypical system which it had chosen include the forms that would evolve in third density or was this related to the archetypical concept at all? Answer, I am Ra. The choice of form is prior to the formation of the archetypical mind. As the logos creates its plan for evolution, then the chosen form is invested. Question 90.12. Questioner, was there a reason for choosing the forms that have evolved on this planet and, if so, what was it? See, <clears throat> pardon me. See, so the, the choice of form is prior to the formation of the archetypical mind. As the Logos creates its plan for evolution, then the chosen form is invested. Okay, so literally as, as we're all getting ready to come here to this place that was how the form was chosen on this planet the color of the sky the air that we breathe how we're going to function what we need to function so the whole entire ecosystem was created right and and that ecosystem is also alive first second first density second density evolving uh, and, and giving weight to us before we were third density to have the have this experience to become what we are now and then to evolve from that. So the entire ecosystem that we have is is there because uh, everything is life. Right. So all of that was created literally to maintain the life forms that are here because that was the form that was chosen. So all of the everything that is here, the, down to the little amoeba, down to a, a microorganism, all the way up to a whale, up to a human being, animals, trees, all of that, it was all created so that everything would thrive. And everything would also die. So there was a cycle. Everything is a cycle. It's cyclical. 
and it was designed and by us. You see that right there. It was designed by, well, I can't say us because I wasn't here. This isn't where I went through my first third density, right? I, I went through it someplace else and then came back to here to help when I heard the call. Okay, so I'm not from here. I'm not indigenous to here, at least just to my knowledge, because I know that I come from uh, the Orion's Belt. That was where I was prior to here in the fourth density. So that doesn't necessarily mean that I wouldn't go from here to there. Who knows what I did, but I believe that, you know, being all the way out there in that nebula, that area of, the, of this particular universe that we're in, um, this would not have been too far out, you know, for for me to have come from here originally, right? So I'm not sure. I could have came from the same place Raw came from. Uh, it is very possible. I don't know if I did, but I know that I'm working with them. Um, so I don't know that 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 was you know that I was part of that logos, but I don't have that memory right now. That's still part of the memory that I haven't gotten to get back. I know where I was one step prior to this, but I don't know my whole evolution of my entire existence prior to that. Because that's unimportant, truly. What's important is what I'm doing here. So to know who and where I came from and why I'm here, that is all I need to know to continue with my mission. I don't need, nor do I try, to find out where I was before that, although I have been told by the Oracle and a few Oracles a tidbits here and there, but I don't seek it out. Uh, because to me, I, I don't see that as anything that's important. Not for what is at hand here. Answer, I am Ra. We are not entirely sure why our logos and several neighboring logo of approximately the same space-time of flowering chose the bipedal, erect form of the second density apes to invest. It has been our supposition, which we share with you. And you know, <clears throat> I have to say, I was watching, I don't know if you guys saw... They did a 2020 episode on not too long ago, a few weeks back, uh, about that man and woman who, uh, you know, who had the, the kids went missing and uh, they were hounding them in Hawaii and they were, you know, where are your children? Where are your children? Uh, and I, I want people to understand because that the, the, the cult that they were involved in, um, that actually sounds a little freakily um, close to me talking about the law of one. Uh, because they believed that they were from somewhere else, which they probably are. Most people that are on this planet uh, right now, uh, there, there's more people that are non-indigenous to first and second density and it for and this third density than there are that are. Oh, no, I can't say there's more, but there's almost as many, right? There's almost as many people here now that are here to help as there is that came from here. Okay. So that's why I look at people who have, you know, uh, narcissistic people. They didn't come from somewhere else. They're from here. Okay, so anybody who you deem as narcissistic or evil, they're from here. They're indigenous. <clears throat> the reason I say that is because it, is a, it, it would be like a one in a billion, with a B, one in a billion souls who come back, to, who sacrifice themselves from the density they were in to reincarnate in a lesser density only one in one billion, if that, maybe even less, would be uh, an evil person. Because they're not about he helping people. They're about servicing themselves. Service to self, not others. So they wouldn't want to come back and give up what they've already earned. That was told early on by uh, Raw when they, when they talked about that. So, you know, literally 99.99% of all wanderers are in service to others. They're sacrificing their own uh, self and possibly to get stuck here and be here stuck forever. 
if nothing is ever finished and fixed. You as long as you are aware. So well, my point was, they, if you if you watch that and listen to what they said, see the the difference is we don't we don't see people as zombies and have to murder them according to some god who told us we need to kill the zombies and and you know just about everybody's a zombie besides them and that's what they're kind of you know that's one of the reasons why we tend to tell people you need to have guides to guide you down the proper path because then people start making up their own stuff and then it gets a little crazy and the next thing you know they're like we must murder everyone because god told me so there's a cow over there that manifested to me as god and we have to kill everyone that kind of tends to happen when you let your ego run too much right you start getting a god complex and most people who are in service to self end up doing just that and that's what happened in that case uh, and you know that they you know you, they looked into it and like the guy had killed his other wife and that kind of stuff too so they were you know they just went on a killing spree and then tidally everybody who helped them died as well strange weird right uh, but of course they got caught and they're now in jail but unfortunately there was many people who died in the process just between just uh, around that particular couple of people right but of course they got caught and that's what happens in the long run is that people get caught almost exclusively even these guys that they didn't think were ever going to get caught they just here in california we've caught like three people that were serial killers and rapists that went un unsolved and, and a very good possibility that we solved the the black dahlia murder along with the um uh, zodiac killer because there's a guy that worked on the case and said he believes that his father did both he was trying to clear his father's name. And, and by investigating it to clear his father's name, he ended up going, I think my father did both. <clears throat> but his father's dead now. So, <clears throat> you know, that's just that. Here we go. That this is mere opinion that our logos was interested in, shall we say, further intensifying the veiling process by offering to the third density form the near complete probability for the development of speech taking complete precedence over concept communication or telepathy. We also have the supposition that the so-called opposable thumb was looked upon as an excellent means of intensifying the veiling process so that rather than rediscovering the powers of the mind the third density entity would, by the form of its physical manifestation, be drawn the to the making. Is that me from moving the microphone around, I wonder? Or is the audio cutting out because I, I don't have the audio on here to hear? I think it might be me messing around with the... Sometimes, yeah, I can hear it there. Sometimes when I'm moving the, my microphone, it'll cut in and out. And I was moving my microphone, and if I bump it while I'm talking, uh, sometimes it cuts out. So I apologize for that. Uh, and Julie says, did we lose the feed? No, Julie, if you can't see uh, anything and it's just buffing, if you happen to find your way back, you have to refresh your screen because that's part of them trying to – because I'm, I'm monitoring it. If it buffs on my, uh, on my uh, monitor, then I know that we're having problems with the signal uh, because I can't see the studio right now because I'm in full screen. So I'm monitoring my phone and, and watching, and then that's why I just turned the sound on that second to see. So the sound problems, Kevin, is me banging onto my, my big, ugly head on the microphone while I'm talking. Uh, or I don't like the position of it, and I go to move it, and when I move it, it cuts in and out. So I apologize for that. I, that's why I try not to. That's why I don't hold on to the microphone. Um, and if I use the lapel mic, then that has a battery and it can die and I won't know it. <laughs> right? So I can't do live shows with that. I can record shows and then, uh, and then have the one. But if I do live shows, I have to have somebody in the audience go, oh, your mic cut out, dude, because I'm not I don't have sound on. Um, I thought about doing that and putting sound in my ear, but then there's that delay and it kind of screws with your head. So being the producer and the 
and the host. I don't have somebody that monitors, so I have to try and do that on my own. So I apologize if the microphone cut out. Holding and using of physical tools. Question 90.13. Questioner, I will guess that the system of archetypes then was devised to further extend these particular principles. Is this correct? Answer, I am Ra. The phrasing is faulty. However, it is correct that the images of the archetypical mind are the children of the third density physical manifestations of form of the logos which has created the particular evolutionary opportunity. Question 90.14 Questioner, now, as I understand it the archetypes are the biases of a very fundamental nature that, under free will, generate the experiences of each entity. Is this correct? Answer, I am Ra. The archetypical mind is part of that mind which informs all experience. Please recall the definition of the archetypical mind as the repository of those refinements to the cosmic oral mind made by this particular logos and peculiar only to this logos. Thus it may be seen as one of the roots of mind, not the deepest but certainly the most informative in some ways. The other root of mind to be recalled is the tracial or planetary mind which also informs the conceptualizations of each entity to some degree. Question 90.15 Questioner, at what point in the evolutionary process does the archetypical mind first have effect upon the entity? Answer, I am Ra. At the point at which an entity, either by accident or design, reflects an archetype, the archetypical mind resonates. Thusly random activation of the archetypical resonances begins almost immediately in third density experience. The disciplined use of this tool of evolution comes far later in this process. Question. See, so that would be the original thought. Once you, once you ponder and you realize that you are something, that's when you would first engage the first, generally. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone, and that is the only way. That is one example of... Of that, you engage that thought process of, hey, I think I am something, right? That's what happens in, in uh, second density with, like, animals and things like that because we have them as pets. Plants, too, as well, because we have them as pets. I mean, we have we grow them and we're talking to them and we're, you know, some people literally have conversations with them, sing to them, play music for them. If you want your plants to flourish, you need to do that. They're alive and they vibrate and they have um, things they like and dislike. You'll find that if you play some music, different plants have different tastes, and you can have two plants of the same species sitting next to one another, and one will like rock music where the other one will like classical. I've done these experiments. I'm a nerd, right? I'm a nerd scientist. I've done these experiments to find that out, and I literally had two plants that came from the same plant, and had, I had separated the plant. You know how you do that. You know, you pick off a piece and put it over here, and you grow it, and I did that, and they had two different per distinct personalities. Now, you know, like, uh, you know, heavy metal and classical music uh, in theory are very, very similar. That's why you see a lot of metal bands playing with orchestras because they're very similar. Uh, they just have electric um, instruments that do the job of all of the other in, uh, instruments. Right. And they combine a few, like, you know, the horn section along with the string section. You get the bass guitar, whereas that would be like the cello plus uh, possible, you know, and the violin. Uh, and then you have, you know, the, the drums that go along with the bass, and the bass is, is more like the horn section and that sort of thing. Um, so that, so you just they just condense it down to four or five people playing, uh, and, and you don't need, and you could even cut it down to three people with the singer playing an instrument, right? Um, so there are similarities, but there are differences. Some people like 
uh, classical music. You can't stand heavy metal. And some people make that correlation. They like heavy metal and they like classical music. I like them both because they are completely different. But they are the same harmonically. Like I was saying, the resonance of the music is almost identical. That's why they mesh so well when they when bands utilize them. So the archetype, the different archetypes that there are, there's many. I mean, the 22 is what they started with as the bass. Right. And we, you know, we uh, th those coincide with the chakra points. And then, you know, you have the major chakra points. I think they get into this as we go here, but I'm not sure. We have the main chakra points that, that we count on that start at the root chakra and go to the crown chakra. But there's there's actually more than that, because there's one more below, which is the which is the earth energy chakra. And then we have uh, instead of just the crown, there's three more above that where you have your higher self and then your higher, higher self, you know, the, the, and then you have the um, the self of, of the um, the God energy uh, uh, self of the universe. So those, I think I talked about that before, those are what your aura is seen to resonate outside of your body is, is people being able to detect this energy that is attached to these chakras that are, that are not actually physically in your body they're outside of your body but they're attached to you just like your your immortal soul is attached to this body by that string right it keeps you from getting lost if you go out of body it will always you know, at some point it'll pull you back into your body anyone who's ever done that and been out too long and came in and slammed into their body it jolts you and sometimes you wake up while you're in the air before you hit uh, and other times you know that, that you just bam you're like what the hell was that you're freaking out and some people don't make that correlation that it was actually them slamming back into their body because they had been out too long and their body pulled themselves back so you don't get lost. Because you could get out there and get disoriented and not know where you are. People do that when you are a novice to astral projection. Um, you know, you, you forget to uh, focus on your body. How do I get back? And you're like, oh, I'm way ways away. And you don't realize all you have to do is think about your body. And you will be there. You'll go there instantly. So anyways, here we go. 90.16. Questioner. What was the ultimate objective of this Logos in designing the archetypical mind as it did? Answer, I am Ra. Each Logos desires to create a more eloquent expression of experience of the Creator by the Creator. The archetypical mind is intended to heighten this ability to express the Creator in patterns more like the fanned peacock's tail, each facet of the Creator vivid, upright, and shining with articulated beauty. So... So we're actually trying to, like, uh, impress ourselves or the creator by trying to create new, um, brighter, shinier ways, uh, you know, like like they were saying with the peacock and the feathers and like a, a, a French poodle. And, you know, and we do that to ourselves, too, right? <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> we do that to ourselves. We're constantly trying to think up a ways of, of changing our hair and changing and getting a tan or or getting tattoos and getting piercings and putting on different clothes and, and makeup. And so we're, we, we do the same thing. I mean, in a, in a sense, you know, that's vanity, but, but not in and of itself or for itself alone. If it is only for that particular thing alone, because you're just vain and you wanted to do it for yourself and then yeah, it's vanity, but just, you know, outwardly as well, trying to show uh, fashion. And, and, and that is what we're driven by with everything to be perfect at something or everything, basketball players, baseball players, I've talked about this before, us competing in some way, writing music, writing poetry, doing something. We want to stand out from everyone else. We want to show how beautiful we can be at this particular or something, anything. 
and sometimes it's just <clears throat> people not doing anything at all. You know what I mean? And that is in itself is a, is a beauty, is an art, is, is to stay away from and not get caught up in all that. And I don't mean you're like, oh, we're going to live off the grid like a Neanderthal, but maybe so. I mean, like I mentioned that uh, the other day about the, you know, the Quakers. And, and but if you think about how they live, that's a, that's beautiful because they're actually surviving the, the way that people survived in the 1800s and 1700s or in, you know, and they don't have all this technological crap that's that's ruining their lives. Right. I mean, so they made a choice. And so every, we all have a choice to make. And, and we're but we're all still to, even they're trying to compete for who's got the coolest looking beard or the you know what I mean? They're you know, we have bake sales. Come on. We're, we're just driven towards perfection and competition and change that in everything we do without it, then we would just be stale and nothing would happen. So we're driven that way. It's a passion that is in our DNA. And that right there should hearken back to the understanding that that you, me, everything is, are the one. That is where you should get the base root ideology of that is that what is it that we're trying to, who is it that we're trying to impress ourselves? We're trying to impress the one, but we're also trying to impress ourselves because we are the one. Okay? So, you know, if you if you look at things, the truth is we could be, uh, you know, all living the entire universe could be one little single cell in the blood in the blood of the one. We could be so minute and tiny that you we could literally be living inside of a some sort of living entity that is so vastly larger than our capacity for understanding that we're just a little teeny one single cell. And we're just a little bit of electricity that's resonating in that little teeny cell. We could literally be on the inside of someone, making up what that someone or something is and not know it. See, that's how you can really blow your brain out if you want to blow your mind. Ponder that for a minute, right? All right, so this is the end of this video. It'll go to the next video, and we'll start there. Let me check the time here and see where we are on that, because I know we're getting close to an hour in. We've got about 10 minutes left. So let's just go ahead. For those of you who are on the MP3 uh, file portion, uh, you're not able to see the visuals. This is the Law of One, and it's, uh, it's part one. We're going into part two of session 990. Uh, this was 1982, June 9th, 19th. Question 90.17. Questioner, is Ra familiar with the archetypical mind of some other logos that is not the same as the one we experience? Answer, I am Ra. There are entities of Ra which have served as far wanderers to those of another logos. The experience has been one which staggers the intellectual and intuitive capacities, for each logo sets up an experiment enough at variance from all others that the subtleties of the archetypical mind of another logos are most murky to the resonating mind, body, and spirit complexes of this logos. Question 90.1 See, so the reality, only, the reality that we're in here only works here. So the reality that we're in here is not necessarily 100% the guiding uh, a reality of all of the logos. Now, would that mean not? I'm not just talking about the solar system, because the solar system is part of a universe. So more than likely, three-dimensional, three, three uh, third-density life forms 
exist and are bound by the exact same rules that we are throughout the entire universe. But when we leave this universe and go to another one, it will be completely different from this one. All the laws will be different and all of the governing bodies will be different because it, they want it to be. We want it to be different. But we also want to ring out every infinite possibility within the bounds of these laws that were set up by this logos, by the, by the large logos, and then we're the sub-logos and a sub-sub-logos, right? Or we're the sub-sub-logos and the sub-logos to the logos. So the logos was created, the creation. So you have the, 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 you have the God energy, the God oneness decided to set up this pod, and this pot is what we call the Milky Way. And there's another one and another one, another one, another one, many, many, many. We don't know how many. We just know there's like billions. And each one is an entirely different universe. So when we would go there, if we went there with a rocket ship, a spaceship, and made it through that vastness all the way over there and, and, and you know, cryogenically, whatever, got there, moving at the, the faster than the speed of light, whatever. When we got there, we wouldn't be able to, we won't know whether we're going to be able to exist there or not. Because we are, are, are attached to the laws that govern this reality, this particular universe only. Right? So that's crazy to think about. This particular universe only. All right, so here we go. 1-8. Questioner, there seems to have been created by this Logos, to me anyway, a large percentage of entities whose distortion was towards warfare. There have been the Moldek and Mars experiences and now Earth. It seems that Venus was the exception to what we could almost call the rule of warfare. Is this correct and was this envisionum planned into the construction of the archetypical mind, possibly not with respect to warfare as we have experienced it but as to the extreme action of polarization and consciousness? Answer, I am Ra. It is correct that the Logos designed its experiment to attempt to achieve the greatest possible opportunities for polarization in third density. It is incorrect that warfare of the type specific to your experiences was planned by the Logos. This form of expression of hostility is an interesting result which is apparently concomitant with the tool-making ability. The choice of the Logos to use the life form with the grasping thumb is the decision to which this type of warfare may be traced. Question 90.19. So think about that, okay? So think about that. Literally, the type of warfare that we have on this planet was desired, decided by us having the opposing thumb. So not everybody has the opposing thumb the way we do. Right? So it depends on where you go, right? Because some people wouldn't have a hand the way we have a hand. Because think about all the other animals on this planet. There's only a couple that have, a, a, that's why everybody thinks we came from uh, monkeys or apes, because they have a, a somewhat usable, opposable thumb. Right, so that's why well, we must have came from them. We can't trace the link, but we must have came from them. Somebody must have came here and used that DNA mixed with other DNA, or the God particle came here. God gave us the God DNA and changed the monkey to human, and that's how it how must have happened. One's faith-based, one's science-based. Both are wrong. <laughs> right both are wrong but the, the the gorillas and the monkeys have evolved into especially the gorillas have evolved into where you they've proven they can teach them sign language and speak to them they have thought like we do they just don't have vocal cords when you learn them teach them sign language and they learn it 
they're able to speak to you and, and, and have conversations with you. People don't realize that. I mean, you should look that up. It's really, really crazily in- interesting. Have full conversations. I think we'll like. I think we'll stop right here because, like I said, uh, we're running a little bit of short of time, and if I get going again, I'll get long-winded like I did yesterday. And if I get long-winded like I did yesterday, I'll go three hours. That wasn't my plan yesterday, and it's not going to be my plan today, <laughs> right? So let me let me pull back here to the. I never did turn my camera on, did I? See, there I am, guys. No mistake. Right, I never did turn my camera on for you guys to see. Yesterday, I spoke with the camera on the entire time, right? So, <clears throat> there's actually a lot to think about in what we just did right there. I mean, I don't know, we only got to, what, 14 questions or so? Um, whatever that is. Let me see over here what the, where we're at so I know where to start next time. Question 19. So, we only got about 20, you know, uh, 19, 20 questions in because we started at, at zero. But that's actually doing pretty good considering... Uh, sometimes it takes, you know, uh, two full sessions or more to get through one, depending on how much content there is there to unpackage. And there was some that I just kind of let go and let you guys uh, ponder with because I was trying not to, to like, uh, you know, really, really dig in too much in some places. Like I could have really gone on more about the archetypes, but that we kind of went on before and was going to continue. So I didn't need to really ring that out right then, but I wanted to to uh, express the, because they're going to get into all 22, right? They're already starting to do that. And to express how we have, the, it's based with the chakra points that we have. And we have a lot of chakra points in our bodies. Everything is a joint. Every joint is a chakra point. Everything that moves is a chakra point. So uh, everywhere where we have a bend, everywhere where we have a knuckle, a knee, you know, a toe knuckle, an ankle, elbow, shoulders, uh, even our spinal cord. And our spinal cord has many. That's why we have the kundalini energy there because we have so many vertebrae and all of the vertebrae move right um so that's where you have a lot more energy and, and people don't realize that all of our energy comes up from the base doesn't nothing comes down from the universe into your head everything comes down through from the universe and then up through your base and up through in, and then out this way we're polarized you have to understand that Right. So people sometimes envision energy coming into their head and then go. It doesn't do that. It comes from your base and wells up and then goes out like that. Uh, the good example of that in a movie was uh, was the fifth element at the end when when the, all the energy uh, went into her and then it all went out. And, of course, it went out her mouth at that point and eyes because, you know, she was you know screaming and oh, went up and all the energy went out like chi uh, and went out and uh, killed the great evil. Uh, which, you know, that was based on a, that cartoon movie, uh, Heavy Metal, that came out back in the 80s. And that was, they did a good job, but they, they didn't do the entire uh, Heavy Metal or Heavy Metal Part 2, but they did the concept of the fifth element being the female, being perfect, and that kind of stuff. So it's really cool. Um, there, there, there again, that's that esotericness where people are trying to tell you something, um, but they don't outright say it. But then once you learn something and you see a reference, you go, wait a minute, and you go and investigate that. And you see the movie like The Fifth Element or you watch that cartoon. Uh, and then you that's the that's the Kundalini energy being released, being gathered up. And they and they use right. They use all of the elements, earth, wind, fire, air. Right. They use all the all the elements uh, in that. And they're all placed on podiums and you have to activate them. Uh, and so that whole thing has to do with uh, literally casting a spell, setting setting the arena by having the 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 the. Uh, uh, um, the room, the, the little, it would be like a church, right? Uh, and then you put all these stones that have power, and all you have to do is ask Aborigines in Australia about the stones of power, and they'll tell you about that. Or 
you can tune in. <clears throat> I'll put this in the description. I was going to set it up earlier, but it ran out of time, so I will uh, uh, readjust the, the uh, in the uh, description, uh, and, and and then I'll put it in the chat. But for those of you who are going to hear this on the MP3 file, it'll be there when you look at it. But I'll put a link to, you guys can come and take a look. Uh, I'm part of a three-day webinar coming up uh, this end of March. In March, you'll, uh, and you'll know that when you see the, the stuff in the in the. Uh, uh, the description, and you guys should really take a look at that because we're going to cover basically everything that has to do with everything when it comes to spirituality all the way to and including having Stephen and Evan Strong on, and they will be talking about that sort of thing because that's what they talk about. They talk about that whole aboriginal um, uh, energy and the, the, the rock energy, the stone energy that we have on this planet that people know about on a very native scale, and our modern societies don't know about it or discuss it. There's so much more that we have forgotten because of our technology that we think we have the answer to everything, and the more and more people are paying attention, the more and more they realize that there were things before that were better. Perfect example is the is the Hippocratic Oath, because Hippocrates is Hippocrates wrote a uh, a, a book that became the dictionary for medicine because that was the only one that was found, okay? That was the oldest one that was found. So we based all of our medicine on that, and that's why they take the Hippocratic Oath. Well, we've now uncovered the um, Emotep Bible or Dictionary of Medicine that is 4,000 years older than Hippocrates, and it's better. And everybody in the in the medical field said that had we found the Emotep dictionary first, we would be taking the Emotepan oath, not the Hippocratic oath. However, they are implementing it. They still have the Hippocratic oath, but they're implementing all of the medicine and the techniques that are 5,000 or more years old in the modern time because they work better than our technology. You just don't know when they do that. And when they do stuff like, for instance, burn victims, they, they were using fish skin. They started that, then integrated and invented a technology that would act just like the fish skin. I know because I've had some. And it's, it, when you wet it down, the gauze becomes slimy like the inside of fish skin. So they were literally taking fish and, and skinning them and packing that onto burn victims' burns, okay, until someone invented the technology that's, that, that, that reacted the exact same way with the human skin. When you're trying to heal a wound, your body likes moist to heal. That's why when you cover it with a Band-Aid, it keeps it moist, doesn't let it dry out, and your body heals faster. So when you cover a burn or an or a open wound with fish skin, and replace it just like you would replace the gauze. That was what they did back then, and they started doing it now, and then figured out a way to make technology mirror that so we wouldn't have to slaughter a bunch of fish every time somebody needed that, and then that's what they did. So that was where our technology was a good thing and made a good advancement, but it was based on five to 7,000-year-old dictionary and way of practicing health when they had no technology, Right? Packing a, a wound with honey and then covering the honey so that the flies and ants and stuff don't try to eat all your honey off of you. That honey, we found out, has antiseptic qualities to it. And it also seals the wound from the air and keeps it moist. 
They used to do that 10,000 years ago. Okay? So they understood how nature worked a lot better than people think. They weren't just grunting uh, Neanderthals running around. There was a time when that was, but that was back hundreds of thousands of years ago, maybe a million years ago, right? So people, I mean, how did they figure out, like they talked about in the 13th Warrior, which was uh, uh, Eaters of the Dead, um, the book Eaters of the Dead, they made 13, uh, Michael Crichton made uh, um, 13th Warrior out of it. He wrote Eaters of the Dead when he was in college. But it was, but that was a based on Beowulf, based on a true story that was, has been handed down in history uh, about Beowulf. And the only reason we know about that was because of this character, Ahmad, who was an Arab, who ended up there and wrote down what he had happened to him while he was with these Viking people. And that was the how we got the story of Beowulf and, and, and the, what happened there. So, so the, 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 the only reason for that was because since there was somebody that actually wrote it down. But that entire uh, thought process of what was going on, I lost, I lost my train here. I apologize. I'm, I'm having a gaff moment. I'm getting old. I'm getting the Biden. It's going to be called the Biden pretty soon. That's uh, a Joe Biden moment. I, I actually just lost where I was going with that point. Uh, so I apologize for that. No, I, heard a, I heard a backup klaxon out here just now, and that threw me completely stopped. Because Unfortunately, I did the last 10 years of my life was in construction, and I still am keyed to power tools and backup klaxons and all of that, which is really funny. And I, didn't, and I, I started to realize that when they were doing work around here, fixing the roof and, and uh, fixing stuff, that I actually slept better hearing construction going on around me than I did when it was quiet. <laughs> It was like my cousin Vinny when he was out in the woods and it was freaking him out when he heard an owl screech. He thought he didn't know what it was. He was running outside shooting a gun into the wilderness. And when he got in trouble and got put in contempt of court and was in jail, he slept like a baby because there was a riot going on. It reminded him of New York. <laughs> right? Isn't that weird? Right? We get used to things. It's in our DNA. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I, I completely lost my train of thought now because there was a backup klaxon and my brain locked onto that. And I, just, I don't know, you guys probably saw me do it. And I just kind of went, uh, what? And now I don't even remember what I was talking about prior to that. So I apologize. All right. So we'll call it a night. That was, that was the universe saying it's past the hour. Get off the horn. Right. That's what that was. That was the universe going, Leo, there's your alarm. Get off. All right, guys. Great, great show. Had a good time. Hope you guys had a good time. We'll be back. I'll be back to do some more news. I don't think I'll do anything this weekend. I usually try to take the weekends off, uh, but who knows, right? Stuff happens, and it's vo- everything's fluid. I might jump on. Like yesterday, I jumped on, did three hours, three and a half hours. Didn't intend to, but a lot was going on and needed to be said, right? So I'll be back at some point next week, I'm sure, doing Orion Rising News for those of you who want to hear about politics and stuff like that because I want to ring more uh, about this uh, border problem that we have. Uh, and I talked about the hypocrisy of that yesterday, uh, but I want to talk more about the, the essentialness uh, of that, that kind of goes uh, overlooked. They talked about it today. Geraldo Rivera brought up a good point today, and everybody was jumping on him. All the conservatives were attacking him because of what he had said. Um, but I agreed with what he had said, so I want to I want to talk about that point uh, of what he was saying because it's true. I talked to my brother, and we we have discussed this ever since the beginning of this pandemic, and, and even before that, but more so with the with the pandemic uh, about. Um, you know, illegals and it's not, uh, you know, well, they're coming over here and even though they're coming here and they're not, not many of them are being tested and then, then they're finding that a lot of them are being released that do have COVID currently, okay? That's an issue that is a, a problem, but that's just one that we have to deal with. That's, that's a normal part of life, I believe. Uh, and, you know, they'd be coming in with the flu and stuff like that. That's what happens. I mean, we had that things, that's what, that's how we get herd immunity on the planet 
is that people come from different places with the same diseases or a disease that we thought we eradicated and then it runs its course again. That's just natural the way the universe works, like a fire in the in the wilderness, right? And that's how it cleans out the forest floor of all the trees that have fallen down and they're laying there like timber. It burns it all out. All of that information that is stored in that in that smoke, all those chemicals is is super uh, you know uh, super grow for all plants, right? I mean, when I was when I was working in pools, uh, I, and, you know, we had to be concerned whenever there was fires in, in Northern California. Because the smoke in the air, if it got in the water, it would grow algae like mad in the water. It was miracle grow for algae because of the chemicals that is in there. So the, the, the killing of the forest brings life faster. It's the cycle of life in the forest. And people don't realize that. And, and then you get ridiculed when California um, understood that and didn't do anything about deforestation. And then the forest was burned down and burned down whole house, um, you know, cities. And people ridiculed them, but they, they don't understand that it was done by themselves because they had chosen the, the more um, uh, conservative, which is weird for a bunch of progressive liberals, the more conservative approach to we shouldn't go out there because it's natural and it'll happen on its own. The problem is that they left all the kindling wood there, so when the forest went up, it went up in a, in a blaze, and that's what's happening all up and down California because they're not going in and doing deforestation. They're not pulling out all the dead stuff and either turning it into furniture or um, paper or whatever, uh, you know, recycling it or selling it so people can burn it because it's already dried. Um, you know, they're, they're, instead of doing that, then, then, you know, and making money off of the thing and, and making sure that fire, forest fires don't get completely out of control, they went the conservative way. And, it, and then over here in California, we have nothing but issues when a match gets tossed off on the side of the road or somebody flicks a cigarette out in a freaking car while they're driving. Right. So sometimes uh, good intentions harm people. And, and that's the, the problem that we have is we don't look at that. We have a knee jerk reaction. Donald Trump had a knee jerk reaction and got pissed off. Well, if you guys were doing deforestation, you wouldn't have this issue. OK, granted, that's that's true. But there's a there's a discussion there about conservative uh, uh, values uh, or, or progressive values in, uh, you know, in, in, in the recycling or non-recycling and deforestation. So it's the same with the border. And this is why I'm uh, talking about this now. It's my little commercial for my next Orion Rising News because it will be the topic. Um, so, you know, you riddled me this. Ponder this. I'll let you go with that. And I know it's politics, so I apologize for those of you who say no politics, but it's not. I'm not talking Democrat or Republican here. Ponder this. They, it, people don't realize Let's say this. People don't realize that all uh, all illegal aliens, all migrant workers were considered back in March of 2020 essential workers. And people go, wait a minute, what? I, I had to sit in my house wearing a mask the whole time and losing my job and losing my business. But illegal aliens could work. Yeah, because they were doing the worker B work that fat, lazy Americans don't want to do of every race. OK. We would have had a food shortage in this country if we didn't deem the farm workers as a uh, essential um, workforce because, and this is where they yelled at him, how offensive for him to say this. Uh, Geraldo Rivera, I'm referring to, they said he was being offensive by saying this. The reason when you went to the store that there was produce in that store and there was meat in that store for you to eat and there was cereal in boxes is because migrant workers, illegal aliens, came from South America and Central America and Mexico to the United States to do that work and that labor force to go out and pick all of the all of the produce, your onions and your apples and your green beans and your broccoli and your lettuce. 
they were doing all the farm work Americans don't want to do of every race, not just rich, elitist, white, and entitled kids, okay? African-Americans don't want to go pick shit with the chickens. That's what my grandmother used to say, right? She didn't say African-American kids. She said the people in this country today don't want to go and pick shit with the chickens. So because of that, somebody has to do that work. So that's where we need those migrant workers to do that work because if not, someone has to do that work. Someone has to get off their lazy, entitled ass and go and do that work. And nobody in this country, because you don't realize that you're not poor. People, they, they say there's a, there's a systemic racism in America. There's not. There's systemic elitism in America. And all of us are self-righteous elitists and don't know it. Even the poorest of the poor here are self-righteous elitists in the minds of everyone else on the planet. Because we don't know how good we have it at all. So we're racist in a sense we're classist and don't know it because kids here are right, they'll go get a job at a fast food place god right and they'll go where they go they go try and find the laziest standing around doing nothing job they can find because daddy made them get a job then they start to realize some of them hey i can make money at this and i can have shit those people get a little bit more motivated the other ones just like ugh, ugh. And they find something they can do in life to just get by because they have to. But they don't want to be a farm worker. They don't want to be a landscaper. They don't want to be somebody packing meat. They don't want to be packing uh, fish. They don't want to be packing chicken. They don't want to be packing cheese. They don't want to do any of that slaughterhouse work or planting or picking or cultivating or any of that stuff. That everyone outside the United States would gladly do for a prevailing wage of cash on the barrelhead every single day and if it wasn't for these people that everybody's trying to say are these evil coming to take our jobs people they've already taken over the entire industry generations ago six seven eight probably the second we started as a nation because i know that because the irish were, was that slave labor force when my people got here and then they made those jobs unionized and then the italians got here and stole the unions from the irish but kept the unions going. The people who they considered slave, uh, uh, slaves were the ones who did all the work, firemen, police department, garbage guys, all of that, city cleaning, all of that stuff, labor work, picking shit with the chickens, plumbing, right? All of the stuff that is, is if you look around now, you see that you have Latinos, blacks, and some poor whites, but it's mostly Latinos and blacks, and mostly Latino that does everything. Who's your landscapers? You go to a fast food restaurant, and who's in there? Poor white kids, poor black kids, poor Hispanic kids, and poor Asian kids. Not the rich and elite kids. They don't go there. So this is why the whole show I did for three hours yesterday, I talked about classism. And, but, but unfortunately, we need those people because if they weren't here, America would have starved to death because nobody's going to get off their butt and go, all right, fine. I'll go pick the onions in the onion fields. No one wants to do that. How much money am I getting paid for this? I could go stand somewhere to register and help one customer per 15 or 20 minutes and stand around, talk to my friends, and get paid the same amount. Why would I go out there and do that? And that's the mindset of everybody in this country. I was the same way when I was growing up, but not quite because we were, we were doing those things with my father, painting the house, working on cars, planting uh, you know, vegetables, slaughtering animals, doing all that stuff, going fishing and 
you know, and slaughtering, you know, and cleaning the fish and cooking. We did that hunter, fisher, gatherer stuff in my family. So we were a little more prone to, hey, I'll go and pick the, you know, we, we grew stuff on trees and plants and, and flowers and trees and gardens and, you know, and some of the people are doing that now. <clears throat> when I was a kid, we did that and we didn't spend as much money on produce in stores because we grew our own stuff. And then people got away from that and they try to discourage you from having that so that you were reliant on the store. That's part of the game plan. So if you're reliant on the store, then you also are reliant on this lower class people integrating from other countries who will do the farm work because that's what they have to do back in their country. So it's no big deal for them to do it. They'll do it because they do what they need to do. But what you don't realize is that you're self-righteous in, in, uh, uh, in classist because you see them as, as these you know, illegal aliens that you're looking down your nose at them. They're coming here to take our jobs. They've already got the jobs, bro. The job they're doing is the same job that, I- that immigrants have done since this country was founded. It's the slave labor force, and the only difference is whether or not you crawl out of that or you live that for the rest of your life and die in that same class. And the rich and the elites want us all to die in that class. And the, the quicker you guys learn about that, the faster you're going to be. So I'm going to talk about that more in detail. I know I went on longer than I was going to, but that's my little tidbit there. There's my 17-minute monologue uh, for the prequel to my next uh, rant. But I, I want to really delve into that and unpackage that and show people, show you guys how in history, how that evolved just here in the United States and who the working force was and what they did. Because that's important, that history they're not wanting you to know about, right? And so people go, oh, here comes these Mexicans, and they're just trying to take our jobs. They're me. Every Hispanic person that is coming from another country and that is going through what they're going through is exactly what my family went through when we first got here, okay? So we we had to do that as a race of people, and and, and so did the Africans. When they got here, they were slaves. So they had to do all that stuff in chains, they weren't being paid for that. And then that was abolished because then there was this labor force that was coming up from Mexico that would do it for money. And so then it just there's your slave chain. Your slave chain is now money, credit and money. And I've talked about this many times. So that's what we're going to talk about in my next Orion Rising News is, is that. And I wrote a book about it. Your slave chain is debt. Okay? So all of us are in debt. That means we're all slaves. We're all slaves. And I'll talk about that more then. All right, guys. So have a great night. Great night. Share this out. Share this out. Share this out. And thank you for listening. Right. Those of you, I should have brought it up on the screen again so I could take a look at it. I was just monitoring where you guys are listening to me around the world and inside the United States. And those of you in the United States in like Indiana and Michigan and New York, you guys rock, man. Florida, you guys rock. I, you know, people are picking me up in places I didn't think that they would. Uh, you know, you guys over there in, in um, uh, Virginia. Thank you. You guys popped out of nowhere uh, two weeks ago and you've been uh, just going to town ever since. Right. Those of you outside the United States. Always the same people. You guys are doing a great job out there in Australia, the UK, Ireland, India, all you guys around the world. Namaste. I'll see you guys next time. Have a good night.